You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at the Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing today's podcast is Hotels.com. Today's show is brought to you by Hotels.com, or at least in part. And we have a couple sponsors, but don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Today's show is also brought to you by Himalaya. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every single podcast you love or are searching for. You can find and download Himalaya on the App Store or Google Play Store, and then you really get to kind of personalize your whole podcast experience. You can create personally curated playlists made just for you by their expert podcast tastemakers. You can go through themed collections of shows to help with podcast discovery. So if you know you like NBA basketball, they'll help you be able to find some of that. If you like comedy, you can find something that will do with that or mystery, thrillers, whatever it may be, they can help you through all of that. And then you can also follow. So as a listener, you can follow your favorite shows and creators and then obviously get those updates whenever those podcasts come through. That is Himalaya. You can find it on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Don't forget to follow Locked on Bucks once you're there. Frank, um, we haven't really like talked about this, talked about this, but um, I, I don't want people to be disappointed uh, for like people that joined us like during the season and got used to us going every day. Like I, I do want to let people know that this is the off season. Like we are officially in the off season at this point. So um, I think you should not expect us to do every day of the week. And I understand that it gets kind of weird when you say your daily podcast, but we, once, once we get to the off season, like we, that's not really how we work. So it probably is going to be most weeks, like two or three times a week, as opposed to five times a week, because it, I don't want to say there's not enough to talk about, but there's not enough to talk about. Like there's just, just there's just very little going on with the Milwaukee Bucks at this point. Like during this month, I'm sure at some point we'll probably talk to our boy uh, Cole Zwicker over at the Stepien, who's our favorite draft coverage guy. Um, I'm sure we'll do that at some point. I'm not 100% sure if the Bucks are even going to take their pick at 30 or if they're going to trade it. But either way, we'll kind of go through some of the options there. And, you know, like I'm sure we're going to break down free agency and kind of how all of this works. But uh, for those who are new to the new to the show, haven't, you know, really been with us over the last three years, two years. I don't even know how long we've been doing it. Is it I think 20, it's three 2016, years. yeah. It's like the, I think, some a Thon Maker Summer League game was our first podcast topic, so that would have been 2016. Yeah. <laughs> so three years. So we've been doing it for three years. So if you haven't been with us the other summers, like obviously we did have a, a podcast about Thon Maker Summer League, but 
it wasn't every day. We didn't have a, a very detailed breakdown of every game. So I did just want, we never like really made that statement. If you know what I mean? Like I, I wanted to make it very clear and like let people know that like, Hey, we're not going to go every day in the summer because it, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I will, I will guess that from June 18th or 19th through July, I don't know. Sixth, seventh, eighth, we'll probably be pretty close to a daily podcast since that's the maybe the most interesting time of the the NBA calendar period. Um, you know, as, yes. as, as we've talked yes. about, as people who have written and seen traffic and how how popular <laughs> our our collective uh, writings have been over the years for the past decade uh, between us, um, trade deadline, draft, and free agency are generally the most popular <laughs> times of the year in the NBA. Uh, fortunately, the Bucks yeah. actually gave reason to um, make the playoffs. Actually, also a very interesting time of year. But in terms of singular events, um, those those are obviously popular for, for a very obvious reason. So I'm sure we'll go very heavy during those periods. But yeah, especially with the draft being obviously much less of a focal point this year. Um, you know, I are so. Are you saying you're not ready to do tonight a full two round mock draft? Is that is that what I'm hearing from you? You want to hold off on that? Um, probably, probably not. Um, I mean, we can certainly but, plan that going forward, but <laughs> but maybe not tonight. Maybe not tonight. There is a uh, <laughs> there is a uh, locked on network mock draft currently going on, and I'm. I mean, hey, the good news is the Bucks are picking last, so we don't have to like get <laughs> smart or try to figure out what we're going to do until the very end of the. Program. The other day, I saw it was at like thirteen, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm four picks away," because I'm so used to like the seventeenth pick. I don't, I don't, I, it, it makes no sense. No, like, yeah. obviously, very clearly, yeah. who's this year's Rashad's Vaughn? Give me that guy. <laughs> Like, that's all I kept thinking. I was like, ooh, four picks away, 17. All right. Uh, what are we going to do here? And then I, like, looked and I was like, oh, yeah, the Bucks picked 30th. That's that's unusual. Wasn't ready for that. Yeah, and I've been – I haven't even, like, had the energy to ask you, like, which guys you might want to look at. Because especially at 30, I mean, it's like, you know, like, who knows who's going to be even left. And of those guys, how many people do I even really have any opinion on? Very few. that have never – I have never had less, I've never had fewer, sorry, I've never had fewer <laughs> opinions about the NBA draft than this year. Um, there are like a few guys in the second round that I know of and be like, oh, that was, I, yeah, those guys would be interesting. Um, so um, I'll, I'll probably like text you when, when we're close to being up and say, what do you think about these dudes? And then you'll just say, eh, how about that guy? And then we'll say, okay. Um, that's, we're, 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 we're kind of, Let's just say this: we're we're not maybe living up to our end of the bargain in terms of this mock draft. But there have been a lot of trades in this mock draft. Not to give anything away, and I've kind of been like, huh, should we try to make a trade? But agreed. I don't know. Doing like a salary dump in a mock draft trade is like really not that. that It would be very on brand, though. It would be very on brand. (laughs) It would be to do a a Tony Snell salary dump um, as part of a, (laughs) a mock draft that doesn't matter for anything. Uh, would be like the ultimate kind of cap nerd thing to do. Um, interesting. I'm not. We, we don't obviously don't, we're not going to get into it. But interesting um, today. Uh, speaking of salary dumps, interesting to see the Brooklyn Nets uh, shipping Alan Crab out uh, to clear a second max lot for themselves using uh, two first round picks, um, which is a lot. And they also did get Torian Prince, which you know he's 
a basketball player that some people like, I guess, still. Um, but yeah, so things things are starting to happen. Not just playoff basketball. Like the teams are starting to kind of make make some moves here and there. There's coaching moves and that. So I don't know. I'm necessarily expect the Bucks to make any big moves in the next week, but um, certainly once we get close to draft night, something something could happen. Especially you know even with only one pick, um, something could happen. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about that uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Somewhere out there, Jeff Schwartz smiled when when he saw that trade happen because, you know, what's another team that's opening up serious cap room? Like, no matter what the Nets decide, and obviously there's rumors that Kyrie Irving is going to Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, I guess they could also let they could let D'Angelo Russell go and then use that on a different max slot. Uh, they could also do what they need to do to keep D'Angelo Russell. But no matter what, that is more money out there. And Jeff Schwartz, who is Chris Middleton's agent, um, I'm sure was very happy about that uh, as there was just more players for for that, which also might mean there are more uh, desperate parties out there to try to, you know, whether or not Chris Middleton is their first option uh, in the end, figure out like, oh, well, we didn't get, whoever it is that we want, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll pay a little bit more than we initially thought for Chris Middleton. So um, yeah, a lot of interest and stuff out there. And I was not ready for, uh, was this like a Woj missile? I suppose this wasn't a Woj bomb, right? Like, can it be a, like, can a cap space move be a bomb? I don't know. Man, it was very, it was a very like precision strike. Uh, definitely not, not a full, full, like, you know, daisy cutter or whatever those huge bombs are. So uh, yeah, you know, these road just got to get back into it himself. So you got to warm up with maybe some smaller stuff. <laughs> um, okay. So earlier this week, we recorded a podcast where we talked about like, you know, what did we learn? And so what I wanted to do was we started at the very top and we started with the organization and kind of how the front office works and what we know there. And obviously we, we don't know all that much. We can, we can kind of only know what personnel moves were made and, you know, who serves in those positions. So like, I don't know if we know anything, but also we, we talked about that a little bit. Then we, we hopped on the coaching staff. We talked about the coaching staff and, you know, what we, what we felt like we learned about Mike Boonholzer. And then I think where I wanted to go next was, what we learned about this roster and what we learned about the players on this roster. And I guess in the most open-ended way possible, I'm just going to kind of toss this to you. And I suppose we start at the, at the very top of the roster uh, with the Bucks and their MVP candidate, you know, instead of Kumbo. And I guess just kind of think about what we learned there. So uh, let's start there and we can work down in what we feel is the level of important of importance from there. So, what, if anything, do you feel like you learned about Giannis this past season? I don't. I don't know if we learned all that much about Giannis. I mean, there was no. I don't think there was any like single skill set that he suddenly like showed off, right? I mean, we talked about three point shot got worse uh, statistically. You know, he shot worse this year than last year. Um, you know, maybe he looked a little bit more comfortable, especially as the year went on, like pulling up off the dribble, right? I think. 
Um, especially as a, as a spot up guy, he did not show any real um, interest in that or ability in that. Um, his free throw shooting got worse, you know, especially in the playoffs, right? We, that was a major problem. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, his, I think there was, you know, his, his assist rate went up certainly, which we kind of thought was going to happen before the season when we did our over-unders. Um, but, you know, again, it's not like Giannis was like a bad passer before. Like we've known he could pass really well for like yeah. five years. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like even in his rookie year, he, he showed flashes of like really creative passing instincts. And so I think this year is more about just sort of like structuring it in a way where he was, you know, doing, you know, five three-point shooters, right? I mean, you probably didn't do a whole lot in terms of finding guys inside the arc because the whole point was don't have other guys. <laughs> you know, it's not like he was finding rim runners or anything like that because the whole point was just get out of his way. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Giannis did anything that was really surprising. I think just the volume of dunking he did was like next level. I mean, you know, to go to, to, to I mean, almost double the number of dunks he had in a year in which he played fewer minutes. Um, is pretty crazy, you know? And I mean, you alluded that in the interview you had with him, um, what was it, a week and a half ago or so, or a week ago, um, where he just sort of had this mindset of like, I'm just going to dunk on you guys, right? He was stronger. He put on weight this last off season. And obviously it did not impact his, his uh, you know, his athleticism or anything like that. It really um, just made him more powerful. Yeah. So I think, you know, if I was going to say like, what, what did Giannis get better at? I'd say just his power game just became all the more, impressive and just difficult to contain but i think beyond that um you know again not to say that he didn't get better in kind of the finer ways like his finishing things like that but um but i think for the most part like his improvements um were largely sort of systemic you know i think the strength also maybe translated into him being a better rebounder but a lot of that was also just because they defended a lot better and they had brooke lopez boxing out and you know you get a lot more defensive rebounds that way so um, so yeah, I mean that's kind of the irony. I think a lot of opportunities for improvement, especially in terms of shooting, are are still there uh, for Giannis. And you know, again, a lot of the you know kind of stuff that he did at an elite level, you know, just finishing with both hands and dunking on people all over the place, that definitely incrementally got better. But it's not like we saw some shocking improvement that you know we hadn't really at least seen hints of previously. Uh, I guess for me, I, I think the the thing that we learned is that the theoretical could become the real where, you know, I think for, for years we had kind of suggested that, you know, if, if Giannis is put into a more logical system, if he's used in a way that makes more sense, if analytics are embraced in a way that they weren't before, if, you know, like everything is built around him, he can be one of the best players in the NBA. And and that's not to say he wasn't one of the best players in the NBA last year. Uh, but I think this year helped, you know, kind of clear that up and, and make it without a doubt, like the truth that, you know, this is, this is one of the absolute best players in the NBA. And I, I just think, you know, we always had to talk about it in, in hypothetical terms. We always had to say, you know, if this, if that, like this year was just, this is what Giannis is. There was no more conversation. There was no more hypothetical talk. There, there was no more projection. It was just who he is. And is that us learning anything? Is that anything changing? Maybe not. But 
you know, I, I think, you know, there's always people that complain when we use per 36 stats or something like that, because that's not real. Like that's just, you know, projecting more playing time onto a player or more shots onto a player. And we don't actually know if they could do that if they did play that often or like those are always kind of the, the, the roadblocks thrown up. And I just think this year went a long way in kind of saying like, all right, we, we all thought this, but now we know it. We know it to be true that if surrounded with, you know, a, a group of players that makes more sense, a system that makes more sense, Giannis can be the MVP. And that's that's kind of what we saw play out this year. So I, I would agree. I don't know if we learned anything, but I think in some ways we had things proven to us that I think we, we've sort of believed for, for the last year, two years, something like that. So um, I, I would agree. All right, let's go down the roster. You can go anywhere else you want to go now. Uh, you know, I think Chris Middleton is probably next in the pecking order. Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, anything about the starters that you feel like you learned this year? I think I, I think the guy that jumps out to me most um, was somebody who wasn't on the team last year, but I don't think I don't think highlighting him is because we didn't because we personally just didn't realize it. I think he did really make um, a major leap, and again, a lot of it's probably system. But I think Brooke Lopez um, turning into sort of this idealized you know, two-way big man, stretch big man um, was something that, again, I mean, we really liked the signing. A lot of people really liked the signing in the summer. Uh, You know, at the time we talked about how defensively he has always had a really good impact on his team's shot chart defensively, right? Uh, Cutting down on shots at the rim, forcing teams to take mid-range shots, um, you know, the Lopez brother effect on the boards. Uh, So, you know, those things all kind of rang true. Those things carried over. But just to see him play at the level he did defensively as a rim protector, um, you know, just some of the games he had, especially as the season wore on, I mean, like that that game in Houston in January where he just completely snuffed out Clint Capella doing anything at the rim and just was like, you know, with the way that they were playing James Harden, it was like, all right, Brooke Lopez, you defend, you defend James Harden and Clint Capella all the time, two on one, like, go do that for us. Right. Um, I think just the level he played. He just did it. Yeah. He, I, 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 I just, I can't say enough about what he did, especially defensively this year. I mean, offensively, I mean, he took a ton of threes the last couple of years. So, I mean, you know, maybe he didn't shoot as many long threes. Um, but that was more just, you know, no pun intended, sort of stretching what he was already doing. Um, and again, not that he was like some terrible defender previously, but to unlock him, um, in the way that that Bud did, especially, I mean, a guy who's 30 years old, right? I mean, it's not like he's not like you're talking about a guy who's like 24 and finally, you know, figures it out, right? I mean, Brooke Lopez has always been like a very like intelligent, you know, hardworking, conscientious guy. So for him to be unlocked in this kind of way at the age of 30, um, you know, it's it was really awesome to see. And obviously, you know, if the rest of the league thought that this was going to happen or that he had this in him, he wouldn't have, you know, taken two weeks to sign for three million bucks a year <laughs> for one year, right? Um, even the Bucks prioritized Ursan Eliasova over Brook Lopez. So, you know, even the team that was smart enough to sign him didn't have the common sense to sign him right away, or at least, you know, maybe he won't, was holding out for more money or whatever. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think Brook is probably the guy that stands out the most, and um, you know, just the uniqueness um, of the way he fits with Giannis in particular 
the fact that he gives Giannis that freedom to crash the boards, to um, you know, be that middle linebacker running around, you know, sideline to sideline, um, you know, doing everything defensively. Uh, and obviously helping create the room for him offensively. Uh, you know, it's you, you think about like, well, what if Brooke were to leave, right? What if some team offers him a huge amount of money that the Bucks can't match? I, I, I you know, like you, you try to think of guys who could, you know, give you some of what Brooke does. And, you know, it's like, hey, Dwayne Dedman's pretty good and has started shooting threes, but I mean, he's not Brooke. You know, is he going to do what, what Brooke did this year? Like, Jesus, that's a yep. high freaking bar, right? <laughs> He's not going to be shooting 30 footers, I don't think. Um, you know, we've heard uh, we've heard suggestions that the Bucks were interested in Frank Kaminsky as a late season waiver wire guy if he had gotten released. Hey, Kaminsky is a very, you know, when we talk, he did it against the Bucks. He's obviously has offensive talent, but like, He's not doing. He's not going to get any. You know, defensively, like no. he's going to be nothing like Brook Lopez. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's Boogie's uh, the interesting guy. one. What's that? Boogie Boogie is the interesting one to me. In what you're saying, what, what do you mean? As just like free agent big men? As a Brook guy? Oh, as a guy who could who could play like Brook? Yes. It's interesting because I have, I and I've never thought of Boogie as a guy that would even be uh, on the table for this summer. Like ignore like let's put aside his skill set um and and everything for one i mean do you think if you have let's say you have the 10 million in space that we've been talking about potentially being available for brook do you think there is a scenario where boogie would be interested in coming to milwaukee for that number slash the bucks being interested in boogie let's assume brook leaves let's assume brook gets gets a bigger number right because i think the bucks would be thrilled to get him back at that number but if boogie left or sorry if brook if brook left if Brookie left, uh, <laughs> do you even think the Bucks would? Do you think there would even be mutual interest there? Because I've honestly, I'd never even like really entertained that as a possibility. I think there has to be at least a chance, right? Just because, like, do you have that much confidence in Demarcus Cousins' health through all of this? Like, I, I don't think he's going to go out this summer and get a big deal. And, and when I when I say a big deal, I mean a long deal. So then I'm kind of thinking like, all right, well, what is the what is the the number for him? And I keep thinking to myself like, okay, maybe there is like a one year like bigger deal out there for him, but I just feel like he's been so up and down this year that you know there's been good games with. I mean, really, just look at the NBA Finals, yeah. and again, maybe the NBA Finals is uh, is a hard. Yeah, like a hard sample to use, but you know, like he looks so great in game. What was that game two? And then terrible in game or no? And you know, like you kind of think through all of that, and it's like, well, okay, maybe maybe there isn't a big number for him out there. So I, I don't know that that's the part I hadn't really thought about it until the other day. I kind of thought about the idea of someone just throwing out like a crazy number for Brook Lopez and as I started to go through potential players that could fill that, I was like, well, maybe the boogie number is kind of low for another year yet. Like maybe he, he has to have another prove it deal before he can get a big one. It's, I, th- I think he'll probably get at least a one year big number from somebody um, who maybe rolls the dice on him. Um, like maybe a team that's kind of up and coming. Um, so it's not like, you know, he's going to play for like a terrible team. And also, if you're terrible, like you're probably not sure. going to. It's kind of a, maybe a weird fit, but um, but I, I don't think he's going to sign for as little money as as he got in Golden State, which again he got the tax mid level last year. So I think he's going to get. I don't know. I'd guess he gets 
like if nothing else, like one year 15 or something like that. Unless again, he goes ring chasing, mm. but here's the thing. I mean, I, I think he's a guy who's going to be really interesting, like depending on what happens with the finals here. I mean, if he wins, if he wins a title, then I think he's absolutely just going to try to lock down as much money as possible. Um, if he doesn't win, that's really interesting, isn't it? Cause it's like, you know, he goes to the team where it's like, he should have, it, it should have just been a slam dunk to win that title and, you know, exercise the demons of him not being, you know, good enough to, uh, to win games, even make the playoffs, and then they don't win when he shows up. And again, obviously, there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, but I don't know. I mean, Boogie was, you know, there's a lot of. Let's just say this: we talked about how Brooke was going to be challenging to play in certain scenarios. We saw that against Boston. Um, Boogie, I think, is it's it's even more stark uh, defensively um, because again, I, I, we haven't really seen. We haven't with Brooke at least. We've seen a system where you can just completely maximize him. And with Boogie, I mean, granted, the Bucks, the way the Bucks play Brook is probably the way you'd want to play Boogie too, and not try to make him move all around the court <laughs> defensively. Um, but I, I yes. don't know. I, I I don't really see it. I think the Bucks would also be wary of throwing Boogie into the mix, just given his personality. Um, and again, I think there's been no indication that he's been a bad citizen in Golden State by any stretch. But um, I don't know. I think he's as, as much as it would chagrin. Um, you know, 23, 2013 version of our good friend Jeremy Schmidt, um, who who long pined for a boogie move back <laughs> back in the pre pre Giannis superstar days. Um, yeah, I probably would say I, I I I would be very skeptical of it. But you know, again, I mean, if you lose Brooke, right, and then you kind of bring up this question, like, well, how are you getting better as a as a team, right? And yes, um, if you lose Brooke, that is a huge huge blow to a team that obviously. Uh, was very dependent, especially in the regular season. But, you know, I mean, he was also really valuable against Toronto and, and Detroit, too, uh, in the playoffs. So, um, again, I'm, I'm kind of – I'm putting on a brave face that Brooke is, is going to stick around, but you never know. I'm just happy I just Steve Von Horned you. I, I like, don't feel like yeah. I've ever actually gotten you in that way. And I do feel like you were legitimately surprised by me throwing out boogies. So yeah, I'm, my, again, my uh, – I. It's kind of those things. My my gut reaction is like, no, that's not gonna happen. It's like that's not gonna happen, and I think that may be a good thing for both sides. Um, but then it's also like, well, I mean, he's clearly very talented, and you know, again, I I mean, when you're this close to a championship, you know, you have to be thinking about talent. And again, I, I would not, I would never pick him over Brooke. Um, but yes, if if you don't have Brooke, as you're saying, like you know the. <laughs> <laughs> it gets really thin thereafter from a you know free agent free agent big man perspective, and especially because what he offers is so strange, right? Like just the yeah. idea that you got to have someone that can shoot threes, and there's not a ton of bigs that can do that, and then you got to have someone that can be just like big around the rim, and uh, like I, like I said, as I thought through, it, I was like, okay, uh, you know, obviously you'd want Brook Lopez over to Marcus Cousins, and you know I think there's. There's plenty of reason to think that Brooke Lopez is going to sign a contract that's at least somewhat friendly to the Bucks or allows him to stay in Milwaukee because I do think he really truly enjoyed this past season. But as I was thinking through it, I was like, huh, all right, maybe maybe there's something there. Um, all right, so for my starter that you know, I kind of think I learned something about, I, I think I probably have to go with Bledsoe. And in many ways... I think ultimately, like the good or going bad. to the player, <laughs> uh, uh, I think we can go both directions. Um, but like, 
I think ultimately kind of what we, what the greater lesson is here is just like, all right, we've, we've thought all these things about a number of these players hypothetically, and now it's more real. And, you know, I think you, as you've mentioned on the podcast before, like you and I were both pretty bullish on the Bledsoe trade and whether or not it was a good idea and, you know, how it might work. And we've gotten to see kind of the, at least to me, the good side of all of this, where it was like, well, you know, if you can find a coach that can keep him focused and keep him locked in defensively, he can be really special on that end. And offensively, if you find a way to, you know, take out some of the bad decisions and get him more focused on, you know, a couple of different things, maybe you can do something there. And like that, that is what happened, right? The Mike Boonholzer was able to find the good Eric Bledsoe and really bring him out and, have him find success at the NBA level that he really hadn't had before this season. Um, obviously, there'd been times where, you know, there was good scoring or things like that, but not, I don't think, like, impactful success in this way, where on a winning team, Eric Blitz was able to do this. So, you know, we got to see some of that. And again, that's more like the theoretical becoming real. And, you know, on the bad side of things, I think. Uh, you know, I, I've said this now on, uh, you know, in a couple different radio interviews, but, you know, when the when the extension was signed, we had both said, well, that that seems like a, a pretty safe deal for Eric Bledsoe to take if he would have decided to go through the postseason and, and really tried to, you know, say, all right, I'm going to use this postseason, improve myself and, and make a bunch of money that that contract could have gone up to. 20 million a year, 22 million a year. And if he had a really bad postseason, it could go down to, you know, 12 million a year, 14 million a year. And well, he had a real, I don't want to say a really bad postseason. I thought there was certainly glimpses of him being fine in the postseason, but, you know, a really rough final series against the Raptors. And again, that was, I think, some of the concerns that we saw from, from last postseason in the, and the Terry Rozier experience coming through again and in, in showing you something that, that wasn't very good. So uh, again, I, I go with Bledsoe and I don't, I'm, I'm still not sure that it's, it's learning anything. It's just seeing things that, you know, you can only speak about hypothetically actually becoming, becoming real things. With them. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was long, I think, touted as a guy who had all defensive team talent and to see that realized with, you know, first team all defense um, recognition is, is obviously a, a great statement about what he did, how hard he worked and, you know, also the system around him. And, you know, again, I think probably most importantly, just the fact that he applied himself in a vastly more consistent way this year than probably ever before. Um, I can't really speak to I can't say I watched him a ton in, in Phoenix and, and LA. Um, but you know, again, LA was more, he was obviously much, much more of a supporting role, kind of, you know, energy guy at the bench. So I think defensively probably, you know, the effort was always there, but you know, just again, he was a younger guy and, and not necessarily doing it, obviously playing 30 minutes a game. And in Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix, obviously with the exception of that first year where they won 48 games, um, not a great environment, <laughs> not, not really an environment that's going to bring out the best habits in guys. So for him to turn it around, well, I don't want to say turn it around, but to really 
um, accentuate the positive defensively this year in particular, really all the way through him. And it's not like he became a bad defender in the playoffs or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, Kyrie Irving sucking had a fair bit to do with Kyrie Irving, but also a lot to do with the way that Bledsoe and Hill and, and the rest of the Bucks defense defended him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Bledsoe, it was kind of the, you know, the, the best of times and the worst of times and, you know, comparing the regular season and parts of the playoffs, especially the first round series, but even in against um, Boston, I mean, he had two or three games where he actually performed pretty well. Um, and then obviously, you know, just, just not being able to hit shots and, uh, and, and just looking like he'd kind of, you know, games would go by where it's just like he just didn't know how to react to playing against the way the Raptors were defending. And again, like choking off the the rim was obviously a, an issue that everybody on the Bucks had. You know, it wasn't just Bledsoe. I mean, Brogdon wasn't getting to the rim. Giannis obviously saw his opportunities there cut off or cut down a lot as well. So some of it was symptomatic of just what the Raptors were doing. But I don't know. I mean, it's kind of an interesting question with Bledsoe is like, you know, would you rather have a guy struggle because he just like, you know, isn't athletic enough to do the things he does in the regular season or something like that, which obviously is not Bledsoe. But, you know, would you rather have it be more of like, well, his skill set just doesn't translate to the playoffs or certain matchups? Or would you rather have it be that, like, I don't know what's going on in his head. <laughs> like, you know, like he's having like some sort of mental block um to be able to just hit wide open shots i mean he didn't shoot well on catch and it's it's weird this year especially that you know him and and middleton and also Giannis were really relatively poor um even relative to historical experience in terms of their spot up shooting um and they were much better as pull-up guys uh which is kind of strange you know since most guys are better just catching and shooting usually you're more open that way as well um but for him you know, he was a good pull-up shooter, much better pull-up shooter, struggled from from catch-and-shoot, but then during playoffs, and especially in that series against uh, the Raptors, who just, I mean, they're just daring him to shoot shots, right? Shoot jump shots, and, um, you know, he's not a, he's never been a great jump shooter, but 34, 35% from three, you know, I mean, if you hit that, hell, if the Bucks had hit that as a team, <laughs> they might win the series, right? You know, they shot, what, 31% in the series? Um, so it's kind of one of those things, I don't, I don't know, you know, again, I, I mean, we've seen, we've seen guys who, you know, whether, you know, Lowry is a great example, right? I mean, Lowry was a guy that had this reputation of like, well, he can't play in the playoffs. And um, it's weird. Like it's continued to dog him, even though um, he's had actually some really good playoff numbers in in the, in the past few years. Like he's had a couple of really good playoffs um, in terms of scoring efficiency and things like that. Um, But obviously he's gotten over the hump, you know? Um, you know, even, even earlier in the playoffs, he was bad and he obviously turned the corner against the Bucks and has continued to play well in the finals. So uh, somebody tweeted out an interesting thing saying like, which, which player who was, whose team was eliminated and played poorly was like, you know, the most likely to have like a turn it around series like Danny Green's having. Danny Green didn't hit anything against the Bucks and now he can't miss in the finals, you know? And unfortunately, you know, Bledsoe, Nikola Meritich, never got that chance to, you know, be rescued by their teammates and then potentially turn it around in the next round. Um, we'll never, we'll never know with this season, obviously Meritich in particular, you know, likely not coming back. We'll never know what, what might've been, but um, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to process Bledsoe's struggles in the playoffs, given that, you know, we've seen it on more than one occasion now. And, 
I don't know. Again, like these guys are pro athletes, right? Like you can't, you can't get to this level without being able to handle pressure to some extent. Um, but for whatever reason, he's obviously disappointed in, you know, in a major way in these last two playoff defeats. All right. Um, I'm thinking about the rest of the roster, and I don't know that there's anything really there that surprises me. So I'm thinking I'm going to wrap it up. How do you feel about that, Frank? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think there's probably a story with uh, with some of the younger players, right? I think I think we wanted to do a, a kind of separate discussion of like kind of candidates who might make leaps next year beyond kind of what they are now. Like, who, who are the guys that, that could get a lot better? I mean, I think certainly DJ Wilson uh, Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, Don't do well, it, Frank. I, I, I just want to save I, that content. I just want to cover our bases because people are going to be like, well, what? you're talking about who who like impressed you, whatever, this year or surprised you. DJ Wilson will obviously be a major talking point. Yep. We're going to save him for kind of a separate conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, like, I mean, George Hill was was really good not long ago, and then he kind of went into hibernation uh, for about a year with the Caps. And even with the Bucks, yeah. he couldn't shoot for a lot of this season. Um, and so I don't think he's really a, you know, I mean, again, you don't expect him to play at the level he did for for a period in the in the playoffs. But um, you know, again, I think that was more of like really good version of you know George Hill, really kind of small sample size George Hill, rather than like oh he's now a different player. You know. Yep, I would agree. Um, all right. We'll save that for another day. Uh, we'll save it for next week. We look forward to talking to you all of you then. Uh, like I said, we'll do some draft stuff in the coming weeks. We'll do some free agency stuff in the coming weeks. Uh, and this is this is kind of weird because you know it's it's going to really sneak up on us. It's going to uh, this is just a weird time uh, to to be you know covering the bucks because we're not used to this in any way. So uh, we'll try to get used to it. Big thanks today to Untuck It for sponsoring Lockdown. If you're looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. Again, that's untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. Also, just put the whole outfit together. Grab Grip 6 Belts. Today's show is brought to you by Grip6, ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it's a great Father's Day gift. Go to Grip6. They have a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock. That's L-O-C-K-E. Again, that's L-O-C-K-E, grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E for Grip6 belts. So a big thanks to Frank. A big thanks to all of you for listening. A big thanks to all of our sponsors for putting together today's show. That's hotels.com, Untuck it, Grip6 belts, and Himalaya. So a big shout out to all of you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you. No, that's fun.